evil and human suffering. Uh, now, we're going to be getting back to Hebrews uh, in a few weeks here. We've got the, the uh, Labor Day potluck and the stuff coming up, so I want to uh, speak on something that's going to be uh, with reference to the, uh, the state of the nation right now and uh, our, kind of our spiritual report card as a nation. Uh, so we, we've been spending a few weeks on topical studies, but I decided to, to preach on evil and human suffering. Uh, this is probably the primary reason uh, why people don't believe in God. Those of our friends that are atheists or at least agnostics, uh, evil and human suffering is, is the number one reason. Uh, Albert Einstein himself rejected God's existence because of uh, evil and human suffering. So it's an important thing for us to, uh, to look into. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time for the last few weeks uh, going down to the hospital and uh, visiting our, our buddy Lucky. And uh, uh, just a real godly guy. And, and so I've been tossing this idea around in my mind and I thought, decided that it'd be a good time uh, to preach on this. Uh, brief introduction, the problem is stated as follows. Okay, this is the argument that's used against the existence of the God of the Bible. Point number one, an all-good God would want to destroy evil. Premise number two, an all-powerful God is able to destroy evil. Premise three, but evil is not destroyed, it still exists. And then the atheistic conclusion, therefore, no all-good and all-powerful God exists. So we want to look at refuting that argument. And uh, I, I personally, it's referred to as the problem of evil, but evil is really a problem for every worldview. No matter whether you're a, a Christian, a Buddhist, a New Ager, a Jehovah's Witness, an atheist, it, Evil is a problem for everybody, but I believe that only Christianity has the answer. And I don't think that we should be intimidated by the problem of evil, because God would not have written to us this book called the Bible had it not been for the problem of evil. The Bible is the solution to the problem of evil through the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if God, everything God created was good, but then man fell in the garden. Had it not been for Genesis 3 and the fall of mankind, there would be no evil and human suffering, and there would be no need for this book, for God to teach us the way of salvation through Jesus, and then how to live the godly life once we are saved. Now let me say this, there are two different problems. We're going to deal with the intellectual problem, but there's not only the intellectual problem, there's also the emotional problem. You might have somebody who just, a friend of yours, who just lost a loved one. And the problem of evil to them may not be a philosophical issue, an intellectual problem. It might be they're just hurting. And in those cases, I think the response is, is merely a loving hug and a listening ear. They might need a shoulder to cry on. Uh, I do not believe, and I'll tell you, if somebody's lost a loved one and they're really hurting, and in that split second they're a little angry with God, because they don't understand how he could have allowed it to occur. Um, I would not be real judgmental during those moments. Um, 
Always put yourself in the other person's shoes before you decide to play this uh, self-righteous person who's going to criticize and, and that type of thing. Let's, when I go and visit uh, Lucky at the hospital, I go there and I prepare myself just in case he's feeling really down. Now, it just so happens every time I've gone there, uh, he's had the joy of the Lord big time. And, you know, he told me last week that, uh, you know, uh, he told me and the missus that if the Lord wants to take him home, he told the Lord that's fine with him. And if the Lord wants to leave him for further service, that's fine. But whatever the Lord wants, he wakes up in the morning, he sees he's still alive, it's, you know, praise God, another day of serving Jesus. But if the Lord wants to take him, he's ready to go. So, uh, uh, but when I go there... I remind myself, I have never spent a night in a hospital. I've been to emergency plenty of times for stupid sports-related in injuries, but I have never spent a night in a hospital bed since I was, you know, born. I guess you spend a few days in a hospital uh, during that time. And so um, I'm not one to point fingers and to say, hey, you know, you're, you're not re responding the way you should. Uh, going through this trial. I've never been through that trial myself. Uh, yet whenever I've gone there, I go there, I'll read some of the Psalms to Lucky and encourage him. At the same time, uh, it always seems like he's more of an encouragement to me. And it seems like God teaches us, yes, through his word, but he also teaches us through trials. And the sufferings that Lucky's going through, he's been brought so much closer to the Lord right now. And... Uh, um, I think sometimes preachers go to do hospital visitation more to hear the sermons of the suffering saint than they do to do some preaching themselves. And uh, I know I'm, I'm being, being blessed and encouraged through Lucky's ministry, even, uh, even from a hospital bed. But there's an emotional, if it's an emotional problem, all, all that is needed is a friend to come alongside, to go through the struggle with them to uh, encourage them, to, to have mercy, pour some mercy on them, to, to, to hug them, to give a listening ear. Uh, but then there is the intellectual problem. And the intellectual problem is what we want to talk about today. And, and by the way, if you don't draw the distinction between this, these two, you could mess things up. I, I've heard that a real good preacher, so I don't want to give his name out, but I think he blew it on this instant. Uh, he, he was going door to... Oh, what it was was... a. A lady started coming to the church with a little girl. She started coming to his church, and then after uh, she, she came for about two months, and then she stopped going. And so he figured, well, I'll go to the house of this lady and find out, you know, what the problem is. Well, the husband answered the door, and the husband said, well, the reason why she's not going is because I won't let her. I won't let my wife go to church ever again. And so the pastor asked, well, why not? And uh, uh, the guy responded that my first little, my first daughter, she had an incurable disease and she died from it. And so that's when I stopped going to church. Now my wife decided that she was still going to go to church anyway. So she took our other daughter, our second daughter. But now my second daughter's just been diagnosed with that same incurable disease. And uh, this guy said, I can't serve a God like that. Now... Uh, or, you know, I can't believe in a God like that. Now, this particular pastor 
when he was preaching, he said that what he told the guy was, he said, well, when was the last time you served God? And everybody in his church, it was a radio program, everybody in his church was saying, amen, brother, amen, brother. I, that, just, that just didn't sit right with me at all. It, that doesn't sound like an intellectual problem. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know how I would respond if the Lord took my daughter home. And so, you know, we've got to look at people uh, with the compassion of Christ, through the eyes of Christ, and we've got to differentiate. When is somebody just hurting? When are their insides being torn out? When do they need a hug? And then when are those times where it's just nothing but human arrogance? A person who's come up with some intellectual smokescreen some philosophical argument against the existence of the God of the Bible. We had better diagnose the problem properly before we begin to give the medicine because we, we, we don't want to give the wrong medicine uh, at, at times like that. But the intellectual problem of evil is what I want to talk about right now. Take a look at 1 Peter 3, verse 15. The intellectual problem... Our approach needs to be a biblical, rational response. We need to provide evidence not only as to how an all-good, all-powerful God could exist even though evil exists, but we also need to provide evidence, uh, a solution to the problem to show that God is going to defeat evil. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yeah, with gentleness and reverence. And so we're supposed to be able to answer objections to the Christian faith and give, peace, give people reasons for the hope that we have. And by the way, that's the hope that only Christians can have. You could have false hopes, but apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no genuine hope. And so what we need to do is look through the scriptures and find a biblical, rational response to the problem of evil. Now, there are several false solutions I just want to uh, make you aware of. There is the false solution of atheism, the belief, well, because evil exists, no God could exist. Because if God existed, he would not allow evil, but evil exists, so there's no God. And uh, that's one of the uh, simplistic uh, false solutions. Uh, rabbi Harold Kushner, a Jewish rabbi, his son died in, a, I believe, a car accident when he was 14 years old. And because of it, this Jewish rabbi uh, could not believe that God allowed that to happen. So what he argued was that God is limited in his power. So Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book... Uh, when bad things happen to good people, and uh, he argued there in that particular book uh, that God has imperfections, that God isn't all-powerful, God makes mistakes, we need to forgive God, and then we need to help God to defeat evil because he can't do it on his own. Uh, basically, Rabbi Harold Kushner, and my heart goes out to him for the loss of his son, at the same time he has turned the God of the Bible into a wimp. He has turned the God of the Bible into a God who cannot guarantee that evil will be defeated, a God who needs our help. And let me tell you, um, if God needs my help, he's in trouble.
If God needs my help, he's in trouble because uh, it, it took 21 years for me to realize what a failure I was. But uh, the Lord Jesus Christ knows how to make, make, uh, make good come out of evil. Uh, but uh, limited God. By the way, that book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, I bought that book. Because I, I buy a lot of heretical books to refute. Um, but I bought that book at the Christian bookstore, the local Christian bookstore. And they were also selling about 20 of them for about 2 or $3 a piece. And, you know, if you're hurting and you see a book when bad things happen to good people and it's uh, in a uh, Christian bookstore, you might, you might be tempted to buy the book, especially when it's that inexpensive. And so I told the, told the people, this was years ago, before uh, Eric was over there. Eric's been yanking books off the shelf left and right, and Karen used to do that before him. Um, but I had told him several times that, you know, hey, I got no problem with you selling the book, but why don't you get a stamp that says that the, the material in this book is heretical rather than leading people astray. And unfortunately, um, they even had John Hicks' book that teaches Jesus is not God, but... Uh, so they didn't want to take those off the shelf either. So there's a lot of... The Christian church is really suffering for a lack of knowledge of uh, God's Word today. Uh, the Christian science cult presents us with another false solution to the problem of evil. Uh, as well as the New Age movement, uh, they view uh, evil as an illusion. They call evil an illusion. And it's real interesting with the New Agers, too, because they really... They believe... You know, they'll tell you, well, I believe there's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as right and wrong. And then you find them always protesting, you know, don't pollute the planet and uh, they save the whales. And this and that. So for people who don't believe there's any such thing as right or wrong, you know, why are they complaining all the time and, and leading in protest against nuclear weapons and this and that? So, so uh, you know, a, a, a philosophy, a worldview that can't be lived is not worth believing. And if there ever was one, a New Age movement is it. Because, uh, you know, they just can't practice what they preach. Another false solution is the health and wealth heresy, that if you're suffering, you must have done something wrong. Uh, Job's friends held to this view, and this poor guy, Job, when you get a chance, when you get a chance uh, tonight, when you get home, read Job chapters 1 and 2. God said Job was blameless before him. Job had a good report card with the Lord. Job was a guy that when he sinned, he, he went right to the Lord immediately for forgiveness, yet God allowed this godly, innocent man to suffer. And so there's no easy answers. You just can't say, well, if you're suffering, you must have sinned. Hey, I'll tell you right now, I'm a healthy guy. But for the past month and a half, I've been sitting down next to a godly man in a bed. Uh, a godly man who is suffering. And uh, believe me, uh, that man is closer to God than I am. And uh, I'm being blessed by his ministry more than he's being blessed by mine. And, uh, I mean, here's a guy that is in the midst of his pain, has found contentment and is ready to go and be with the Lord. I can't really say that about myself, but you look at someone in a wheelchair and you're healthy. Anybody, anybody can praise God while they're healthy. But you put us in a wheelchair and it might not be as easy. 
there'd be more reasons to complain about or whatever. And uh, uh, the health and wealth heresy is doing a lot of damage. Another problem is, uh, false solution, is demon paranoia. Blame everything on demons. Now, we don't want to go to the other extreme and say there are no such thing as demons. The Bible says they're there and they're real. Okay? Um, fallen angels that, that work for uh, Lucifer. Um, but the fact of the matter is, people who blame everything on demons... Um, you know, need to recognize the fact that, no, uh, that, that is not the case. There, there is no easy answer, no simplified answer. The problem of evil takes a uh, good, solid study of the Scriptures and a good, rational response. Another false solution is dualism, the belief that there are two gods. Uh, Zoroastrianism is a uh, non-Christian world religion based out of... Uh, the uh, uh, Iran area, and uh, it's the belief that there's a good God and an evil God that have existed throughout all eternity. And uh, there's some philosophical problems with that, uh, but I'm just letting you know that it is a false solution and uh, it does not solve uh, the dilemma. In fact, uh, St. Augustine actually held to this view before he became a Christian. And uh, it was because he, he found the holes in this particular uh, worldview uh, that eventually led him down the road to become uh, a born-again Christian. And finally, I guess, I guess you could have the false solution, okay, maybe an all-powerful God exists, but maybe he's cruel and evil. I, I, I don't know too many uh, people that, that hold to that type of view, but I guess you could take uh, that horn of the dilemma. And so those are the false solutions. So what I want to do is look at the biblical response. And if I had to respond to the problem of evil in one sentence, okay, uh, I would say that the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, is the solution to the problem of evil. Okay? Um, that's, why, that's why it really shocks me that so many people think the problem of evil is such a powerful argument against Christianity. You know, it, it's as if uh, people have been preaching the, the gospel for 2,000 years and we never were even aware of this thing called evil. And then all of a sudden somebody brings it up and it's like, oh man, now I'm going to have to throw Christianity out the window. Uh, the gospel is God's solution to the problem of evil. I mean, that's what Jesus is all about. I mean, that's why God, the second person of the Trinity, left the throne room of God, became a man, and died on a cross of wood for our sins. Christianity is, is not devastated by the problem of evil. Christianity is the solution to the problem of evil. And Mr. Atheist and Mr. Dualist and uh, those uh, who believe in a limited God, I would like to hear your solutions to the problem of evil. Any fool can bring up evil. Any fool can recognize it and bring it up. Let's hear your solution. You give me a solution that comes even close to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only uh, the good news of salvation through Christ solves the problem of evil. So let's take a look. Now, keep an eye on that, the problem stated in the introduction. Keep an eye on that. Uh, when we come down to the biblical response, point A, it places an unnecessary time limit on God. 
You see, they're saying, okay, an all-good God, he would want to destroy evil. An all-powerful God is able to destroy evil, but because evil still exists, this God can't exist. Well, the problem with that, it places an unnecessary time limit on God. Evil exists now. But the Bible teaches that God is in the process of defeating evil. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you're suffering, if you're going through a lot of pain, you know, I know my wife's got a bad back, her back's always acting up. Jamie Carmen has that bad hip. Uh, cling to this verse. If you have physical ailments or sufferings or hurts from, from loved ones that have died, and uh, cling to this verse. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, the sufferings of this present life, this present time, that's not the whole story. There's more to life than, than what's, what's right here. T take a look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is probably written about... 850 to 950 years before, or to a thousand years before Christ, and they're already dealing with the problem of evil. Job was written 2,000 years before Christ, and uh, Job was already dealing with the problem of evil. It's not, it's not something new. It's just an old argument restated. But look at Psalm 73, verses 1 to 5. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So wicked evil men were prospering. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. This guy looks and he sees a bunch of wicked guys getting wealthier and wealthier and they die in an old age without much pain. They're always well fed, they've got plenty of food and they're not in trouble like other men, especially like the righteous men. This guy's looking around and the righteous Israelites worshiping the true God are suffering. And he's questioning that. He's saying, well, how could you allow this God? Well, then he gives the answer in verses 16 to 18. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. It troubled him. It troubled his soul. Verse 17, until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely thou dost send them in slippery places, thou dost cast them down to destruction. You see, what he was saying was, when I was looking at at life and the way it was and all these wicked guys prosper and innocent men suffer and I just couldn't understand and it troubled my soul but then I went into the house of the Lord and I put my mind on the, the God of Israel the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob 
I put my focus on Him. I went to His house, the temple, to worship Him. Focused my attention on Him. And all of a sudden, it came to me. It came to me. There's more to life than just this life here. You know, it's like that story that uh, some guy talked about two poor elderly men, it's probably a fictitious story, sitting down on a park bench. Every day they'd be out there throwing uh, bread to the pigeons. And they were poor guys. And one was a Christian and one was an atheist. And every day around the same time, uh, a real fancy car would drive by, uh, by with a chauffeur, a limousine, with some wealthy, wicked man sitting in the back. And, uh, and so the, the atheist elderly man turns to the uh, Christian elderly man and says, You know, that's why I can't believe in your God, because you're a nice guy. If your God exists, how come he let you be poor and he made that wicked man over there wealthy? There's no way that uh, you can reconcile that. And then the elderly, the way the story goes, the elderly Christian guy said, well, what you got to do? You got to look at it from God's perspective. Put the eternity of heaven at the end of my life. Put the eternal flames of hell at the end of his life. And it, it all works out in the end. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to look at this from God's perspective. This is not the whole story. And as long as we assume this is the whole story, yes, there is injustice. Yes, there are innocent people who suffer. Uh, yes, sometimes the wicked prosper, and sometimes the, the righteous man is battered and beaten down. Uh, but the Scriptures teach that God is in the process of defeating evil. Now, why did evil come into existence to begin with? This takes us to point B, human free will. Human free will. You see, God... Here's another dilemma that, that, that from the, based on the problem of evil. Look at Genesis 1, verse 31. The Bible teaches that God created all things. God created everything that exists. Yet, evil, everything God had created is good, yet evil exists. So it would make you think that either evil is an illusion or God created evil. Look at Genesis 1, verse 31. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So after God completed his creation work, he looked at it all and said, hey, it was very good. Absence of evil. There was no evil there whatsoever. Okay? Now, what we need to realize is that God gave man free will. Look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat from it you shall surely die. You see, what the Bible teaches is that God did not create evil. Evil is a real thing, but God did not create... It's not an illusion. It's a real thing, but God did not create evil. Instead, He created the possibility of evil by giving us free will. God gave us the freedom to choose to go against His will, 
to corrupt his creation, to corrupt ourselves and our natures, to corrupt uh, the creation itself. You see, uh, nobody, nobody makes rust. You build cars out of metal, and if they spend too much time in the rain, they begin to rust. Rust is a real thing, but it has to exist in something good, the metal that it is a corruption of. Um, it's the same with cold. God did not create a big ice cube in the sky to give us coldness, okay? Uh, he created stars, and our star, the sun, gives us the heat that we need, okay? But the further you are uh, away from that source of heat, uh, you will have the absence of heat, which is basically coldness. Uh, basically, what evil is, is a perversion or a corruption or a lack of a good that should be there. Let me repeat that. Evil is a lack of a good that should be there. Okay, let me, let me give you an example. A rock cannot hear. A rock does not have the sense of hearing. Okay? That is not evil because a rock was not created to hear anything. Okay? But when a human being lacks the sense of hearing, then that is a product of evil. I'm not saying that the person is an evil person. Of course, we're all evil. We're all fallen. But it might be a very nice person who's accepted Jesus as their Lord, but it, had it not been for the fall of mankind, we would all have perfect hearing. So it's the lack of a good that should be there. And uh, so basically, um, it's what philosophers would call a privation. A privation. You see, the reason why God gave man free will is because God's love cannot be forced on his creatures. You can't force love on someone. You can, God loves all mankind, but He's not going to force us into heaven. He gives us the freedom to accept or reject His love and to accept or reject His forgiveness by either accepting or rejecting the Lord Jesus uh, as our Savior. So it was man's free choice, his abuse of this freedom, man's free choice that brought on evil and human suffering, a corruption, a perversion, a lack of the good that should have been there. Um, Genesis 3, 16 to 19. This is after Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the garden. God said this to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's the pain in childbirth. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, physical death, even spiritual death, uh, pain, human suffering, this is all a product 
of man's abuse of free will. So God created the possibility for evil. We actualize that possibility by choosing to do that which is evil and turning our backs on the God who had blessed us uh, in the garden. Now God allows evil, this is point number four, for the purpose of a greater good. One of the, you know, God could have created a universe of robots, angel robots and human robots, all programmed to obey Him, okay? But obviously, it is a better universe, a better world to create a world in which angels and humans have the freedom to accept or reject God's love, to obey or disobey, so that those who obey Him are not robots programmed to obey or are not forced to obey Him, but we freely choose to enter into a love relationship with Him. Okay? And so God allows evil for the purpose of a greater good, human and angelic free will. Point C, God's wisdom. In God's wisdom, He will use evil for good purposes. Look at Isaiah 55. You know, we are, we are not always going to be able to figure out what good purpose will come out of a particular evil in a particular situation. But if we believe that there is a God who is infinite in wisdom, who is infinitely good, and who is infinitely powerful, then we can rest assured that He will bring good out of evil. Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts, God is speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so God will use evil for good purposes, but we're not always going to be able to understand. We're not going to be able to figure it out. Sometimes we're going to say, Lord, I don't know why you're allowing me to go through this trial, this sickness, this pain. You know, maybe you're somebody who wants to get out there and, and minister for the Lord, and your ministry just never gets off the ground. And day and night you go before the Lord, Lord, I, I, I want you to use me. I want you to use me. Why aren't you letting me? Why, why, why do you allow me to go through such trials? But the fact of the matter is, we don't understand His ways and His thoughts. His ways and His thoughts are far above our own. He promises to work all things for our good. Romans 8:28. But we don't always see that. We don't always see that. Sometimes we, we just we get the smaller picture. And we just can't see all that God has uh, for us. Look at, uh, look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 and 2, we don't have time to look there, but Peter talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. Contrary to the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine, uh, God does at times call the righteous to suffer for Him. Whether it's persecution or physical ailments or, or financial difficulties, um, 
but God is in the business of rewarding those who suffer for him. The reward may come in this life, like with Job. Then again, the reward may only come in the hereafter. And uh, from a human perspective, it might look like you lived in a, a miserable life, died a miserable death, and that was it. But when you put God's perspective into the equation, uh, then we see that God, uh, in the end, has rewarded those who have suffered for Him. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what Paul says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Man, when you're hurting... You know, our God is an awesome God, and He's a powerful God. But when you need to be comforted, it's nice to know that our God is the, is the God of all comfort. When you're hurting and you're down and you think you're all alone and nobody cares about you and it's just you out there and life is miserable, it's great to know that we have a God who loves us so much. He has the ability to love that which is unlovable, you and I and to comfort us and to be with us in our time of need. And, it, and it's not that, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm, I was just going through this situation all alone. No, he's right there for you. But sometimes we, we focus so much on the problem that we don't even see the problem solver right there by our side. But he's the God of all comfort. God of all comfort. Um, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let me tell you, when God blesses you, this isn't original. I've heard this from other preachers. When God blesses you, He doesn't bless you so you could be blessed. When God blesses you, He blesses you to be a blessing to others. When God comforts you, when God gives you His comfort, He gives you His comfort so that you can share that comfort with others. You know, I, I have not had the type of affliction to where I can walk into Lucky's hospital room and say, Lucky, I know what you're going through. I can't say to him, uh, I'm going to give to you the comfort that the Lord gave to me when I was where you are now because I was never there. But let me tell you something, the people that Lucky sees in that hospital, and if it's the Lord's will and he gets out of that hospital bed and he gets back on his bike and goes back out there ministering to bikers, the ability that he is going to have to comfort others in the midst of their affliction. This guy has lost almost 40 pounds. He was thin as, thin as a rail when he went in. And so when he talks about being ready to go and be with the Lord, and they still, to this day, if you ask him, well, what exactly is wrong with him? The doctor still can't tell you. And, uh, but he has the ability to take the comfort that the Lord has given him. And I'll tell you, I, Lucky was a godly man before he went in there. And he just, just a couple days ago, he finally started reading again. So he hasn't, hasn't had his face in the book a lot. All he's had, all it's been is Lucky... Lots of suffering, and the God of all comfort. And I'll tell you right now, Lucky, right now, is a much greater theologian than he was before he went in there. Because God, God not only speaks to us in His Word, 
but sometimes He speaks to us in our afflictions and our trials. And people mock and friends like Job's friends come and say, well, if you're suffering, you, can't, you couldn't be a godly man. But we have a God who is the God of all comfort. Um, James chapter 1 showing how God can use evil for good purposes. He can allow us to suffer affliction so that we can receive or reach the end of our ropes, turn things over to Him, receive His comfort, and then we can take that comfort and comfort others in their time of need. Um, look at James chapter 1 and verses 2 to 4. James says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. James is saying, when things get bad, rejoice, because you're going to grow. And by the way, if you ever prayed, I know it's happened to Gary plenty of times, it's happened to myself, you pray, Lord, I love ministering for you where I'm at, but take me to higher ground. Multiply my ministry, the ministry that you've given me. And almost always what happens is uh, your whole life, just nothing but trials. The bottom falls on everything. Then he, then he starts dawning on you that, you know, God says, hey, look, Phil Fernandez could do fine on that step. If you want to come up to a couple steps, I've got to make some changes here. Because Phil Fernandez has got too much confidence in the flesh. I've got to bring him to a point where he's, he's got such a trial where he knows that he can't get himself through it and he gives up in his own strength and turns things over to the Lord. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what James is saying, Rejoice when you encounter trials, when things get tough, because that's when you're going to grow. There are some good results that God cannot bring about without allowing you to go through tough times. There are some good things that God could not bring about without evil. Uh, I listed a few of them here. Did you know you could only, if God did not allow evil, you could only love your friends? You could not love your enemies. If God did not allow evil, it would be impossible to love your enemies because you wouldn't have any enemies. If there was no evil, nobody would hate you. You would have no enemies. And so now we have the ability to take love to a higher degree and experience what it's like to unconditionally love people who hate our guts. Uh, without evil, there would be no such thing as courage. Because there's got to be something out there that other people are afraid of before there can be such a thing as courage. Something evil that people fear before there can be such a thing as courage. Can you imagine a universe where you couldn't, it was impossible to love your enemies and there was no such thing as courage? How about compassion? If there was an evil in human suffering, you would not be able to have compassion on other people. Can you imagine a universe without compassion? Or charity. Nobody, if, if, if there was no evil, no one would be in need. There would be no such thing as giving charity, giving free gifts away to other people 
who, uh, who, who could not earn those gifts. Um, you know, people constantly slam God for allowing evil. They say, well, if he's uh, all-powerful and all-good, he should have created the best possible world, yet the best possible world wouldn't have all this evil in it. Well, any time a producer goes out and tries to make the best possible movie, what does he do? From the opening minute, there's nothing but evil. Evil all over the place. And guess what happens in the end? The hero comes on the scene. He defeats the evil thing, whether it's a dragon or whatever, the bad guy. And then he rescues his bride. Now, if that's the best possible movie, maybe that sounds like the best possible world, or the, at least the best possible way to achieve the best possible world. In other words, the day is going to come when our prince is going to return. The day is going to come when our king is going to come back. And in all his power and all his glory, he's going to slay the dragon. And he's going to take us, the church, his bride, and rescue us. And then we will live happily ever after with our king. That makes a great movie. I mean, Walt Disney has made millions upon millions of dollars doing that. Now they're trying to be politically correct, so I think eventually their business will end up going down the tubes. But, but they made millions of dollars based on that same storyline. But I think it's just it's within the heart of man, God has given us a glimpse of his gospel. Uh, so that when we see the true gospel, uh, we recognize it you know, if we're looking for it. Now, the example that I give here is a child, a child that has to go through surgery. Obviously, surgery is painful, okay? Um, a child does not understand. And a child will look, a little boy would look at his father and think, Dad, why are you allowing them to hurt me, to cut me open, to allow me to go through all this pain? And the operation might be necessary to save the child's life. So from the child's limited perspective, since they don't have access to all the information with their limited knowledge, the child doesn't understand why his father allows him to go through the pain of surgery, but the father knows that the pain, the quote-unquote evil, the suffering that is going to come through surgery, he allows that for the purpose of a greater good, saving the life of that child. Something that's beyond the child's understanding. Hey, let me tell you, we are nothing but a bunch of little children who point our fingers at the infinite God and say, you're unjust to allow us to suffer.